You're listening to Not Safe to Drink, a special documentary about Flint's water crisis on Michigan Radio. I'm Lindsay Smith. I wish you to come last week because I still had all our creams and lotions and potions. Like, I just cleaned out this cabinet, like, from all the different treatments and stuff. This is Leanne Walters. For months, her four-year-old twin boys had this red rash that would not go away. Her kids' doctors prescribed all kinds of creams to get rid of the rash. They thought it was allergies, eczema, even scabies. But they were wrong. Her tap water was causing her family's health problems. Tests show her water had extremely high lead levels. Her son Gavin was diagnosed with lead poisoning. It's just crazy. How does this happen in the United States? I mean, you hear about it in third world countries, but how does this happen specifically in a state that is surrounded by the Great Lakes? It's a good question. How did this happen? To understand that, we've got to go back to 2013. Flint was broke, like nearing bankruptcy broke. Flint had a string of these state-appointed financial hatchetmen during this time, trying to get the city's finances straight. They were looking for savings everywhere, and they had their eyes on the expensive water they buy from Detroit. So when Genesee County decided to build a new water system, one that's separate from Detroit, Flint was definitely interested in joining. Once it was clear Flint could save millions of dollars a year with the new system, Flint got on board. Here's a report from TV station ABC 12. Earth moving equipment is digging the trench where the pipes will be installed. But there was a catch. The new water system wasn't built yet, and it wouldn't be ready until the summer of 2016 at the earliest. And once Detroit realized Flint was going to leave its system, it jacked Flint's rates up even more. To the tune of $10 million over the two years, the new pipeline would be under construction. So in the spring of 2013, Detroit kind of had Flint over a barrel. It was state treasury officials who got creative. Their solution? Forget Detroit, Flint's emergency manager said. Let Flint get real cheap water from the Flint River. That brings us to April 25th, 2014. It was a Friday morning. A small group of city and state officials got together inside the Flint water plant. It was a big day, the day Flint stopped buying Detroit's water. There was a countdown, and then Flint Mayor Dane Walling pushed a tiny black button. That push of a button closed a valve in an underground pipe that brought water from Detroit. Flint was officially cut off from Detroit's water. To celebrate, the group took small, clear plastic cups, filled them with the city's new drinking water. In TV station WNEM's report from that day, you can see them come together in a small circle. They raise their plastic cups, smile, and make a toast. Here's the flint. Here's the flint. Here it is. But the celebrations didn't last long. City residents started complaining right away. The water was brown or reddish. It stank. Tasted weird. Darnell Early was Flint's emergency manager at the time of the switch. What we have to do is to respond to that and find a way to fix it, make it better, and move on. But things did not get better. Four months after the switch, the city detected E. coli in the water. E. coli is a nasty bacteria. It can make you very sick and even cause kidney failure in kids and the elderly. So residents were told to boil their water. These boil water advisories came out right around the time kids were heading back to school. Phyllis Brock is a lunch lady at Flint Community Schools. She says there was one little girl who would come into the cafeteria in the mornings, and she was really concerned about the water Brock was using to make her oatmeal. My mom said 
So I had to go back and forth with her for about three days. It's bottled water. Yes, I boil it. Mom said no, and so finally I've convinced her she'll eat oatmeal again. <laughs> Brock's boss, the executive chef at Flint Community Schools, says there were other problems. At that point, um, some of our cooks started mentioning about how the water was smelling and, and how when they turned it on that it didn't look quite right. Chef Wally Janisic didn't take any chances. Five months after the switch, he started buying gallons of bottled water in bulk to prepare and wash all the school food with. Janizic's main concern was the E. coli. You can't make food for a school full of kids laced with bacteria that can make you violently ill. And Flint did get a handle on the E. coli problem. But killing the bacteria brought a whole new set of problems. See, Flint started dumping chlorine into the water system. Now people complain the water smelled like a swimming pool. But Flint resident Amber Hassan says the smell wasn't the scary part. I've been in the shower and had my eyes burning. My eyes are burning in the shower, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, what's going on? I get out the shower, and I can't see for a minute because my eyes are burning from whatever. Meanwhile, six miles south of Hassan's house, Leanne Walters started noticing alarming clumps of hair in her shower drain. I lost a bunch of hair. At one point, I had lost all my eyelashes. I still wear fake eyelashes because my eyelashes did not grow back what they were before, and I don't, it's, it makes me very self-conscious, so that's why I now wear fakes. And if you're thinking, these people are delicate flowers, sensitive skin and eyes, consider this. Flint's water was so caustic, it was damaging car parts at one of General Motors' engine plants. Tom Wickham is a spokesman for GM's Flint operations. So what happened was uh, we had employees who were uh, checking the parts, and they noticed, you know, there's something wrong here. There was some corrosion, some rust forming, and they decided to raise the red flag. GM tried to treat the water to get rid of the extra chlorine that Wickham says was rusting the engine parts. It didn't work well, so they brought in semi-trucks full of water instead. It wasn't cheap. I, I, I don't have that number, and that's not something we would disclose, but, you know, when you look at what I was told at the time, it was just a lot of money. But GM was kind of lucky. A sliver of the company's sprawling property is technically in Flint Township, not the city of Flint. And Flint Township still gets its water from Detroit. GM discovered it could hook up through the township and get its water from Detroit again. So eight months after the switch, GM left Flint's water system. The company was one of Flint's largest water customers. GM pulling out meant the city lost almost half a million dollars a year. And then, a month later, nine months after the switch, people living in Flint got a notice in the mail. The notice said Flint was in violation of the Federal Safe Drinking Water Act. Turns out, the city dumped too much chlorine in the water. So much that a byproduct of the disinfectant, called trihalomethane, was above levels set by the federal government. Over time, exposure to trihalomethane can increase the risk of cancer and other health problems. No surprise, angry people showed up in droves at City Hall. But their concerns were pretty much blown off. The city water is safe to drink. Uh, My family and I drink it and and use it uh, every day. That's Mayor Dane Walling. He's former Mayor Dane Walling now, thanks to the water crisis. 
But this time, people were bypassing City Hall, which wasn't offering much help or even acknowledging the problem. So in January, in single-digit cold, people like Mike Sargent took matters into their own hands. They started giving out cases of free bottled water. Sargent spent the morning loading them into people's cars and trucks. You know, I I knew that our intention would only be a Band-Aid on all that needed help. Hey, you have a good day. By this time, Flint had a new emergency manager. Jerry Ambrose insisted the water was safe. In fact, Ambrose seemed more concerned about bad press than bad water. Doesn't have to travel very far out of Flint to see that this news has been picked up, uh, not just in the Flint area, uh, but throughout the state and uh, even beyond that. There's, There's clearly a perception issue. But Flint residents didn't think it was a perception issue. At City Hall, residents like Claire McClinton demanded the city reverse course. We survived bacteria. We've had boil water advisories as a result. They put too much chloride in the water. We got trihalomethanes. And it's just been one disaster after another. I mean, what do we have to do to get them to turn the water back on to Detroit? But Ambrose was blunt. The city was broke. Couldn't afford to reconnect to Detroit, even if it wanted to. You're listening to Not Safe to Drink, a documentary from Michigan Radio. I'm Lindsay Smith. Through that spring of 2015 and into the summer, folks hauled their milk jugs full of discolored water to meetings. They brought their hand-lettered signs down to City Hall. Good Samaritans handed out bottled water. But the Flint water crisis hadn't been coined as a phrase yet. Out-of-town reporters weren't flocking to cover the rallies or tell the story. But then, in late June, something shifted. In her little yellow house on the south side of Flint, Leanne Walters opened her laptop. And there, in her email was a draft report from an EPA guy who had come to her house to check out her tap water. She immediately forwarded the email to a reporter she had met in the spring. Oh boy, you know, talking about the the hazardous waste levels of of lead was, uh, you know, certainly attention-grabbing. Kurt Guyette is an investigative reporter who works for the ACLU of Michigan. The report showed lead levels at Leanne Walters' house were way way worse than she thought. We're talking simply jaw-dropping numbers. Let me put it this way. If you have a glass of water and it has a lead level of 5,000 parts per billion, the EPA considers it hazardous waste. One sample from the Walters house had more than 13,000 parts per billion. That's almost three times as much. And that's not even the scary part. The scary part is this report said there was reason to believe that the Walters could be a canary in the coal mine. It's not this individual home. It's not coming from inside the home. It's coming from outside the home. We know now from emails and other records that for months the EPA had been warning state officials that something was wrong with Flint's water. But you won't hear from the guy who works for the EPA who wrote this report who is doing most of the warning. The EPA won't make him available, but Guyette managed to get him on the phone before writing a blog post about the report. He wanted the information to get out, and he was willing to uh, go outside of uh, normal EPA protocol in order to make sure that happened. This leaked report 
This was the very first time any official had publicly said Flint's water may not be safe to drink. But back then, the federal EPA report wasn't finalized. So besides this one conversation Guyette was lucky to have scored with the author, the EPA wasn't talking to any reporters about it. So back in July, I turned to Brad Werfel, the spokesman for Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality. Check, check, one, two. Check, check, one, two. You got it. I'm going to say things to you. All right. Okay. Werfel agreed to talk uh, to me about the EPA report. The first thing I asked him was, what responsibility does the state have in making sure lead isn't getting into people's drinking water? I mean, is that even your responsibility? Let me start here. Uh, Anyone who is concerned about lead in the drinking water in Flint can, can relax. Uh, there, there is no broad problem right now that we've seen with lead in the drinking water in Flint. It turns out there was a broad problem. And it turns out the DEQ is exactly the agency responsible. And we know now the same week I talked to Brad Werfel was the same week some of the people he works with at the DEQ realized that Flint's latest lead tests weren't looking too good. The tests were bad enough that at that point, they should have informed the public about the broad lead risk. But that's not what happened. Instead, state and city officials kept telling residents there was no lead problem in Flint's water, that this EPA report was wrong. It was written by a, quote, rogue employee. About a month after the EPA's report was plastered all over the media, Leanne Walters went with a group of Flint residents and concerned pastors to Lansing. They were able to arrange a meeting with top officials at Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality. Walters had hoped that, after she leaked the federal report, state officials would take their concerns more seriously. But they blew us off like we didn't know what we were talking about. State officials told Walters and others that EPA employee who gave her the report had been handled. But Walters had met someone who did take her seriously. Later that afternoon, after that unproductive meeting with state regulators, she made a phone call that helped change the course of Flint's water crisis. Hello, Mark speaking. Mark Edwards is an environmental engineer and a professor at Virginia Tech. He studied corrosion of old water systems for decades. Edwards has probably tested 30,000 homes for lead in his career. He's never seen anyone with higher lead levels than Leanne Walters' home in Flint. So on that warm Tuesday afternoon in August, when Walters called Edwards to tell him how awful that meeting with the state went, Edwards remembers hanging up the phone and physically shaking with anger. I mean, this is an imminent and substantial endangerment to children. And for me, sitting 15 hours away, I, I can't believe how people could just sit there and let other, peop- other children drink that water. I mean, how could you do that? Edwards couldn't sleep. He decided he had to drop everything. He got four grad students together, a bunch of lead test kits. Two days later, they loaded up in Edwards' 13-year-old white soccer mom minivan and drove 15 hours straight directly to Flint. (laughs) 
By mid-August, the small research lab on the fourth floor of Durham Hall at Virginia Tech was a beehive of activity. Cardboard FedEx boxes full of lead testing kits from Flint started arriving for analysis. Leanne Walters and a group of Flint residents helped hand out the testing kits all over Flint. In all, graduate students like Ana Ragmanta processed more than 800 samples. We spent so many weekends here so that we could get the data and start giving out the results to people because every hour, every day we delayed that thing, more and more people were still drinking the Flint water. The test showed lead levels in Flint were pretty bad. Bad enough that one afternoon in mid-September, Edwards went back to Flint. On the lawn, in front of Flint City Hall, Edwards addressed several reporters and about two dozen Flint residents. Point by point, he explained why there's a dangerous lead problem in Flint. This problem has arisen because of what's known as a corrosion issue. So most cities, uh, like Detroit, have treatments for their water where they put chemicals in the water to stop corrosion. And you can't see it, but there's an iron nail um, in this bottle here. He held up two small bottles of water, one with pretty clear water. You can see a small nail in the top. The water in the other bottle is orange. This is Flint's water. It's basically eating the nail. The iron nail is disintegrating into the water. Edwards says Flint's corrosive water is doing the same thing to distribution pipes all over the city. Flint is the only city in America that I'm aware of who does not have a corrosion control plan in place to stop this kind of problem. So this water uh, looks bad, it smells bad, it tastes bad, and this is part of what people have been complaining about. But, Edwards warned the crowd, the real danger isn't the iron you can see in the tap water. The real danger is odorless, tasteless lead. It's also leaching from the distribution system. Edwards said people in Flint should protect themselves against the lead exposure immediately. He told them to stop drinking the tap water, buy a certified lead filter or bottled water if they can afford it. You've been listening to part two of the Michigan radio documentary, Not Safe to Drink. In part three, the state nurse told me, oh, you know, I understand your son has lead poisoning, but it's not as bad as it could be. He's just going to lose a few IQ points. State officials continue to downplay the lead risk to Flint's children, even after experts find dangerously high levels of lead in the water. And we'll meet a Flint pediatrician who risked her reputation to change the city's course. That's on the third and final installment of Not Safe to Drink, a special documentary from Michigan Radio.